What's up, Wildcatters? Have you heard about Collide yet? It's the newest community hub for the next generation of energy professionals. Collide.io is where you need to be if you're looking to connect, learn, and grow in this dynamic industry. And don't miss out on Collide GPT, our cutting edge AI chat designed specifically for the energy sector. It's like having an industry expert right at your fingertips. Join thousands of your peers who are already making the most of this incredible resource. Head over to Collide.io and sign up today. That's Collide.io. The future of energy is here. Don't get left behind. I, 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 Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Really cool guest today. I got Guy Yeaton. Did I say that right? You said it right. Thank oh, you. it's amazing. The media the mediation guy or meditation guy. Meditation guy. guy. Meditation guy. The mediation guy. We're not we're not bringing lawyers in here to settle them. Yet. Uh, yet. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> um this is a really cool deal cuz you and I were introduced uh to a good friend of mine from high school. Um, who had addiction problems, you helped him. We got on the phone. We talked for like an hour and a half. And I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about that because oil and gas guys, I mean, addiction rates have to be the highest on the planet, I would think. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. And anything I can do to be useful, I'd be glad to. I do have quite a bit of experience. And your friend, uh, he did did a lot of good work when he was in drug treatment and uh yeah, you know, my <clears throat> my take is that industry could use a little disruption um, and actually use some help after, because there's only so much that can happen to someone, let's say in the in the oil field industry, to go away for forty five days. Yeah, like it's 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 a bit unrealistic. It could go. It's all good after that. And there's some sort of part of our culture that thinks, okay, send you to treatment. It's all good. It's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And what I try and do is work with people. I have worked in drug treatment centers, but I like to work with them after where they really need some help and continue their momentum. Because you can go back to work and just uh, have it be a temporary Band-Aid. Because the, the reason it's complicated, it's a lot more, com uh, the drugs and alcohol are a symptom of something underlying. And just stopping drugs and alcohol doesn't get rid of daddy issues or trauma issues and unresolved trauma is one of the biggest reasons people chronically relapse. So, um, so, you know, kind of thinking about this, you know, I've always heard that it's a disease. I, do you believe it's a disease or do you believe, cause it almost sounded like what you just said is a little bit different. There's underlying trauma and that's just something you use or people people predisposed to use alcohol and drugs versus others or how does how does that work in your mind well in my mind it's a great question it's it's complex and should start to be treated as if it's complex so uh, in my estimation there's absolutely nothing wrong with the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous and that model um, what my experience tells me is it's not enough. Now, for some people, it is enough. So somebody listening to this might go, hey, man, I've been sober for 30 years by going to Alcoholics Anonymous. There's, I don't knock that. But the efficacy rates are not that high um, for just doing that. So it's the, the, the underlying problem is the, the amount of people who get well is not as much as you would think it is. Uh, it's hard to do research on it, but the efficacy is not as high as it could or should or needs to be. So it may work for some people and that's great. And they might complain, hey, it worked for me. It, uh, and and I, w I won't knock that. But some people, I think it, the addiction should be put on a spectrum. You know, ADD and autism uh, are on the same spectrum and we all have traits of it, somebody can drink a glass of communion wine and be dead in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, I drink my communion wine and I'm not gonna be dead in three weeks. But there's a lot of, I think what needs to happen is that's a foundation. And I think Alcoholics Anonymous 
is intended to be a springboard. It says we know but a little. These are merely suggestions. And I think it's complicated. And one of the number one reasons for relapse is trauma. If you look uh, uh, for chronic relapses, and that doesn't get dealt with in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's nothing wrong with Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's, it's not gonna treat your trauma. Um, this is some stat like 96% of chronically relapsing addicts and alcoholics have unresolved trauma. Yeah. Um, and that typically needs to be dealt with after they leave, but it often doesn't get dealt with and you just have this cycle. The other thing that's interesting, there's a stat that uh, if you had av have adverse childhood experiences, it's called the ACE test of seven or higher, you have a 1400% higher chance of uh, being an IV drug user, heroin, for example. So to me, it looks like that population needs to be treated for their trauma. And that needs to be in addition to some of the really good fundamentals of the 12 steps and Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, you, may, you and I may have talked about this on the phone when we talked the other day, but the, you know, the, the Navy SEALs actually search out kids that had, or people that had traumatic childhoods because as horrible as it sounds, they're used to running on adrenaline. You know, if you're being right. beaten by your father or whatever, you ran on adrenaline all the time and you know how to operate under that. So that's perfect to be a Navy SEAL when you're going in and getting shot at. And I don't know this for a fact. And I say this with all due love and respect for everybody in the uh, oil field because they're amazing people. It wouldn't surprise me just kind of given the anecdotal evidence I hear because it's really dangerous out there. You can lose your life at any given moment. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if oil field doesn't attract or even subconsciously recruit people that had traumatic childhoods yep. just because of that, they know how to operate. Well, yeah, adrenaline. and there's also some hypervigilance and some adrenaline. It's also exciting. You could have a lot of people in the, in the oil field business who are ADD. Uh, a lot of ADD people are really good at being paramedics or something with a lot of moving parts because they can see it all. Um, the flip side of that resilience could be, man, I'm going to be a heroin addict and live under a bridge and survive. That takes a lot of resilience. Um, if I can be a Navy SEAL, I can also be survive as a heroin addict. So um, it, it, it can be useful for sure, but there's got to be a way to, 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 to repolarize that and make it a, a useful skill set rather than to burn the house down. Yeah. Um, but I, I know, I see exactly where you're going. And again, um, I used to work at an ADD clinic. A lot of what happens in the addiction world is it's complex. There's a lot of what we call comorbidity. Some people, the substances are the least of their problems. If I stopped drinking I could still have ADD that I haven't dealt with. I could still have trauma that I haven't dealt with. And then it becomes like whack-a-mole. And sometimes there's a, uh, uh, it's not a myth. Maybe it's a hope that like, okay, I don't drink. And there's a massive payoff for it. And in many cases, there is a massive payoff. But it's not going to get rid of your ADD. It's not going to get rid of your trauma. And it's not going to instantly make you uh, be an expert on relationships. There's a lot of other work, in my experience, that has to go on beyond, in addition to, 45 days in drug treatment, in addition to going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And actually, in the big book, it, it tells you to see where spiritual people are, right? To seek spiritual direction. You have a spiritual director. I have several spiritual directors. It tells you to go see shrinks. It tells you to go see doctors. And I think that's the area that I have a passion for, is to get some extra help. Because my experience, I have lots of trauma. I have lots of attachment trauma. Not drinking doesn't deal with that. I've had to do other things in addition to, and a lot of that's not provided. Let me throw out one more Band-Aid, and then after we talk about this Band-Aid, just because I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, I want to get, I want to go to, okay, we have a blank slate. Let's create the system to best handle this. But the other Band-Aid, I've actually read a bunch of the research just because in my, uh, in my career, I had to deal with uh, with uh, people with addiction, and there's actually some research out there that says, you know, alcoholic, you know, stop drinking altogether, never take another sip. But there's also seems to be 
people that control it by no more than two drinks a day. You can't drink, you know, you can only drink every third day. I, you know, they give them, they give themselves kind of this, what I'll call a moderation regiment mm -hmm. and, and it seems to work for them. Any, any truth to that? Oh, there's definitely truth to that. Is that part of your spectrum? Well, the part thing, of the spec it's part of the spectrum, but it's also part of something that's controversial, which would be some version of harm reduction. Um, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's no room for harm reduction. It's total abstinence. So the unintentional consequence of that is someone would be ostracized from those programs because of that. Um, I've worked with people who have had harm reduction, and I look at how their lives are, and I applaud them because they've got their relationships back, they're healthy, they're going to therapy, they're going to church, they're meditating, they're doing a lot of things that I suggest, and they're thriving, but they wouldn't really be welcome back in those rooms. Um, and someone in those rooms might criticize them. Hey, you don't have a sponsor, you're not working the steps, it's you know, a matter of time before it's gonna blow up. And my other, when I put the, the overall wellness and balance, I'm applauding them, but the typical structures for them would be they could have some finger wagging uh, to that. Um, there's a great author by the name of Gabor Mate who talks about that. And I think, I think my whole theme is addition and additional. So 12 steps, hey, it, it works. It's a really good foundation, but it's also 2023, you know, not 1939. So there's a lot of modern takes that are out there that, tend to get shunned uh, because fundamentally we're just going to do the 12 step stuff. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. It works for many, many people. So I'm not knocking the person it works for. I'm looking out for the percentage of people that it hasn't worked for and offering something else. And everything tends to be funneled in here. Um, so it's, there's, there's something that could be uh, more robust for want, or for uh, want of a better word, a harm reduction to me is a good thing. Let's do let's do this. Maybe maybe the way to go through kind of your ideal approach is uh, I'll start asking questions, kind of just a, as a person. Number one, maybe to start with, how do I know I have a problem or not? So to me, I think the uh, one of the hallmarks of addiction is not knowing you have a problem. Okay. So despite having negative consequences, losing a job, uh, getting fired, going to couples therapy, you still continue to drink. So it's, it's sometimes hard to, it's not as obvious to the person as it is to their wife, for example. Right. Uh, in the 12 steps, it's, is my life unmanageable? Does my drinking or drug use make my life unmanageable? And that's usually the measure, but it's hard to admit that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing to admit. It's a hard thing to ask for help. Um, there's some a lot of shame around it. Totally. Um, so a lot of people just kind of suffer in uh, suffer in silence. But um, it is chronic, and it does get worse. So the you know the curve looks like this, uh, and there's a lot of good help available. Um, um, but yeah, it's sometimes it's not as obvious to the person. So I'm sitting there and my wife is saying things like, why do you have to get drunk like that? You know, I'm showing up late to work, hung over sometimes. So I get the inkling something's wrong. You know, I'll sit there and wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, who did I text or, you know, whatever. So I start, I start feeling, feeling that kind of stuff. Hard to admit I have a problem, but there are at least some signs popping up. Uh, I call you and say, Hey, I'd like to talk. What what's kind of the first thing we're doing under the guy approach? Well, the, or the on the on or the, the guy, meditate guy. The the, uh, the meditation guy approach is would be sort of triage, um, and also be very curious, right? Because sometimes you could go to a therapist's office, drink too much, go to AA, right? Sometimes it's a knee jerk action, reaction. Go to AA. Um, Go to uh, go to treatment, and then you very quickly have to go. Hi, my name's Guy. I'm an alcoholic, and that may or may not be true. 
Um, so there's, there's assessments to see whether you are. And certainly when you go into a drug treatment center, you're going to have to check a bunch of the boxes to get in there. You can't really fake your way in. But the other thing is to be curious, what else is going on? Like, do you have childhood trauma? Do you have depression? Uh, are you drinking because you lost your job? Like a lot of events happen. So I think it's to triage it with curiosity. Is there really a problem? And, and what could, could the solution be? Now, a lot of people that I work with have been to treatment multiple times. And what, what, what my experience is, is it's the same menu over and over again. As much as drug treatment centers will differentiate that they're better than the rest, there's a lot of genericness to it. And a lot of it stops working, a lot of it's stale. And sometimes within that, it's viewed as the person has a bad attitude, right? And um, a lot of it has to do with, I already know this and it hasn't worked yet. Um, but if I'm going in with just the drug angle, it's gonna be just the drug angle. You know, my angle might be, okay, I can recommend a trauma therapist for you. Let me help you with your 11 step, which is prayer and meditation which is a lot of what I do. And a lot of the spiritual component of recovery, a lot of people who keep realizing they, that never gets any traction because they've never been led or guided. So a lot of what happens is a lot of talk about God and a lot of talk about spirit, but there's not a lot of people necessarily playing golf. There's a lot of people talking about golf, but not playing golf. Right. So, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm going to cut you off because it's interesting you say that because kind of my journey, and I've talked about this on the, the podcast before, you know, I wind up getting separated from my wife and, you know, throw myself into a lot of therapy, throw myself into a lot of God with my priest, Patrick, who you and I have talked about. And I think one of the big realizations that I had during that, that period was I was going to church because I was scared I was going to go to hell if I didn't. Right. And that's not religion. That's not right. spiritual. That's right. not that that's not. And, you know, it really took Patrick working with me to say, hey, there's this really cool dude named Jesus. And he actually wants to have a relationship with you. And I'm yeah. not I'm not preaching to folks, but I just this was my journey. Yeah. And that was really important because what I found was I was drinking way too much and I was doing it when I was angry. Right. You know, and and my problem wasn't necessarily that I needed to drink every day. In fact, I would periodically just go, you know, lengths of time without a drink. It was having drink number three, drink number eight happened. Right. Particularly when I was in a negative put, uh, point of uh, frame of mind. And so being able to realize, hey, my ex-wife's approval is not what should give me my sense of self-worth. It became God. It became religion. Um, allowed me to, today, if I'm in a bad mood, I don't drink. I right. just don't. If I'm in a negative framework, uh, I still probably have a problem. I'm out having fun and drink three happens and a few extra drinks happen that shouldn't. But at least I'm not drinking angry. Right. And uh, that was really important for yeah. me, for, yep. for my journey. Yep. And I think that's you're an example of someone who's balanced it and you would shift away from it. It no longer makes your life unmanageable. Right. So that shift is commendable. Um, it may not be welcome in the rooms, for example, but I applaud it. The other thing is that you mentioned is you have Patrick. So you have a skillful guide to help you uh, with your spiritual life. Uh, that's the majority of my, what my work is at the meditation guy is helping cultivate some spiritual curiosity and getting some traction. So not everyone is going to be cool with going to church, for example, or cool with Jesus. So this is, this is what happened. This is one of the problems. So uh, AA is actually one of the best things in the history of mankind to stir, to, to stir people to move and explore spirituality that like, and have the humility. I've done everything I could do and it still doesn't work. Help. You know, the greatest prayer ever, help. But we also live in a culture where church attendance has dipped below 50% in the United States for the first time ever. So a lot of people going to the Episcopal church, for example, who are recovery people, like, yuck. Or, or the, the church of their past, yuck. 
So they don't know what to do and they don't like know what's offered in their culture. And that will limit them to, you know, maybe not drinking and going to AA meetings, which is fine, but it's not enough for most people. It might be enough for some people. Um, so, and, and, and my experience in recovery and working in drug treatment centers, I haven't met anybody. This is going to sound a little bit rude. I haven't met anybody <clears throat> that I wanted to be my spiritual director. I've had to found them, find them outside of that umbrella. And that's my truth. Uh, you, Patrick's outside the umbrella. So I'll give you an example. I'm working with a guy who also is uh, a friend of your friend's son's son. And his improvement in three weeks, four or five sessions, is incredible. And all I've done is just kind of nudged him more in the spiritual direction and meditation and read Eckhart Tolle and uh, come to this church and meet me and try this and try that. And he's super vigilant. He's always on time. And he's completely woken up just from some gentle nudges, right? I didn't tell him not to go to AA. Keep going to AA and come see me. Go to AA and read a book. Go to AA and read Gabor Mate. Go to AA and do therapy and find some friends outside of that complex um, because it can get very enmeshed and stale. And he was stagnated as a 25-year-old guy in recovery who's been to treatment a couple, three times, and some of his buddies just OD'd. And just the additional attention uh, in addition to what he's learning, to actually, like in an AA meeting, you're not going to talk specifically about Jesus. You're probably not allowed to do, you're definitely not allowed to do that. So there's no specifics. There's no real coaching. And there probably shouldn't be. But you wouldn't be where you are without your spiritual guide and spiritual coach. And that's what I try and do. It's not going to work for everybody. But like sometimes we just need a nudge. Have you seen that documentary, Stutz? I have not seen Stutz. With, uh, what's his face? Jonah Hill and his therapist? Oh, no, I haven't seen that. So Jonah Hill talks about, I want my therapist to tell me what to do, and all they do is listen to me. And then I want my friends to listen to me, and all they do is tell me what to do. So his therapist just nudges him and loves him. And it's a really, really good relationship. He's just nudging him, telling him some things to do. And that's all I do. Uh, it's not that AA doesn't work. It's not that drug treatment sucks. My experience is it's not enough because the success rates are actually pretty low. Yeah. And that's kind of the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. I just like it to be better. I don't like to see people dying. Um, I don't like to see people stuck. And there's many people who are not stuck. But just because it works for you doesn't mean that there's not a ton of people that it hasn't worked for yet. And I'm more interested in helping that person. So, so may have a problem, triage, figuring out, you know, poten potentially we need to get you on a, a religious path, spiritual discovery, potentially uh, dealing with childhood trauma, therapists of some sort along that. What other things are you looking for to kind of, to kind of help a person? Well, here, here's what I know about every sort of ism or um, diagnosis in the DSM, right? Um, it's some sort of reaction to an underlying problem. So some people have the underlying trauma and they drink. Some people cut. Some people overeat. Some people undereat. There's lots of evidence, you know, uh, lots of women who get abused and raped put on weight. You know, there's so is it a weight problem or a childhood abuse problem? Right. So um, there's some sort of symptom on the outside. But like the way my brain works, if you draw it back to sort of Kevin Bacon, the six degrees of separation, if you look at something like addiction, it's isolation and disconnection. All of it is some sort of disconnection. So the greatest thing, in my opinion, about something like Alcoholics Anonymous is connection a home group, a group of people, but you can, um, people that it, it, it's safe, uh, people who are your buddies that you're happy to see. That community 
is one of the best aspects of it. But that doesn't mean that's the only community I can belong to. And I would encourage people who love that community to branch out into other communities, a meditation community, a mountain biking community, a yoga community, right? A group therapy community that you have more and more healthy people in your life than just one group of people. Now, some people who are alcoholics, all they want to do is hang out with alcoholics people, and that may work for them. Uh, it didn't work for me. That makes me go insane. You know, I need, I need more variety of that. But the disconnection is really the problem we have to solve. So it drives me crazy when we talk about Mexican drug cartels and, and all of this, this. What's the cause? The cause is you got, quote, the greatest country in the world, and people are so miserable that they're going to do fentanyl instead of go ride their bike. Yeah, they're so alone that they're going to do fentanyl instead of go hang out with Chuck and Doug and some of your buddies and play golf. So this disconnection is what we have to also tackle in this to get people connected to themselves, reconnected to themselves and reconnected to others. Um, and Has social media helped that hurt that? What's your take there? I think it's hurt. You know, my, my take is it hurt. Now, some people it might help their self-esteem. Um, uh, to get some likes on Facebook. I think there's a higher spiritual self in all of us that has to be found through not drinking, prayer, meditation, therapy. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, internal family systems therapy. And to, to find out that there's something in you that's not broken, right? And um, I think what social media perpetuates is the false self and that's she loves me she loves me not wow nobody liked my new picture today wow everyone's telling me i'm great it's a bit bipolar and i think it's it's very needy and can be and can make people feel bad about themselves yeah you know Could like um superficial and the the big a big illusion that my externals will change me on the inside like, oh, look how great I look today. And that that's going to be massively transforming. It isn't. Well, and I'm glad you said that because my take on it has been, you know, through all the therapy I've had, all the self-help books I've read and all, I really do think Brene Brown nailed it in terms of it's your sense of self-worth. And the only way to kind of fix that, deal with that is talk about it. Shame hates words, right? Exactly. And, and so what exactly. you just said, the external is going to help the internal. It's actually the opposite. And it's 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 me calling Patrick at three in the morning. Dude, I fucked up and yeah. I, I need to yep. tell you. And being yep. able to share that with Patrick and God bless Patrick. You know what he did when I shared something horrific with him? He said, oh, that's nothing. I did this. I'm like, dude, yep. you're a priest. And yep. he's like, I know it's really bad. But, yep. you know, God bless him for that. And you, you don't. And, and I think uh, social media actually discourages that because of what you were saying. You want to put out the perfect. You want to well, put out the ideal. You don't yeah. want to put no. out. Yeah. You put out the ideal. You nailed it on the head. But the reason you're intimate with Patrick is you know his dog secrets and he knows yours. You're not intimate with Patrick because he's a great Episcopal priest and you're a top-notch businessman. The, the sharing your dirty laundry is what created intimacy with Patrick. And when we're, when we're social metering, we're, we're afraid of any of our dirty laundry. And with good reason. You, get cru you can get crucified in our society with any, uh, with any dirty laundry. Yeah. Uh, what I try and do in my life, I have multiple Chucks and Dugs. And I intentionally hang out with people who can bear my dirty laundry. And not everyone can do that. It's too intimate. But, man, you better find some people who you can. So... Uh Tell me whether you agree with this stat or not. So I'll say it as a statement, but it's really a question to you is, I think if you can get to the point where you're going to share the deepest, darkest secrets about yourself to somebody, whoever you choose to share that to, 99.9% .9 of the time is going to say, hey, man, yeah, me too, or thank you for sharing with me. Yep. If you, yep. you, we're not that stupid. If we're going to share with somebody, we've thought about it. It's someone we trust, et cetera. Yep. And so that's why I always tell people, don't be scared to do that. No, well, we're, we're, we're taught to be scared, but because we don't want to be shown up. But the truth of the matter, we all live in the same culture and have 
a lot of the same damage. We're all wounded, right? Especially the squeakiest clean people. They're wounded too. And to know that we're not terminally unique. One of the things that happens in addiction is people think they're the lamest son of guns in the history of mankind. And like, we're all that lame. We're all that broken. So to, to have that common humanity, it's like the, the meditation, the loving kindness meditation, when you give love to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and the lady at Starbucks, and you're the lady who cleans your house, and a president you may or may not like, and get out of yourself and realize this is just the human condition. And the symptom of the human condition is overeating, undereating, uh, drinking, whatever that may be. Um, I think, especially for men, uh, this safety aspect is something I want to talk about because I think, I don't think it's safe in many cases for men to be authentic because you, you get hammered for it. Um, and I want to actually talk about my friend who killed himself, who was the president of the Houston Texans for yeah. over 20 years. Yeah. I really want to talk about that. Because, you know, I don't know him that well as an adult, but he was my roommate. We played soccer at Clemson. We won the national championship in 1984. Here you have someone whose life looks perfect. And this was Jamie Roots. Jamie Roots. Yeah, and he, was, he was president of the Texans, president of the Dynamo, right? For, yeah, for a long for, time sports Houston executive. Many, yeah. many years. Um, nice, nicest guy on the planet, too. Yeah. He could have been the president of the United States, but he's an archetype, right? And you may have suffered this when you were your, uh, in, in your big shot oil job, right? No one's going to think anything's wrong with Chuck. You think anyone thinks anything wrong with Jamie? Right? You think any, anyone thinks anything's wrong with the meditation guy? Oh, you're supposed to spiritually groovy, dude. I'm a human being. Right. And I don't know Jamie's story uh, and I don't want to know all the ins and outs, but I got a funny feeling if he had some dugs and guys to talk about where he could let his God down. Can you imagine being the president of the Houston Texans? Everyone looking at you? You got your God up and your whole reality is your God up. What about what you are that's not that? And he may, he may never have found who he was that's not that. I don't know. But that's an epidemic. You know, one of the highest suicide risks uh, rates in the United States is 50 plus year old white dudes, right? Which you and I are and Jamie was. You know, we've, we've done what we thought would make us happy and we we're miserable. How come? I got two kids, I got a wife, I live in West U. What's the problem? And it's an underlying existential problem that never gets solved by managing your externals. Right. Because if that was the truth, rich people wouldn't kill themselves. Rich people wouldn't go to drug, drug, drug rehab. Rich people wouldn't get divorced. You know, in, in one instance, maybe you have more money to be more distracted to run away from your pain, which is what all of it is. Addiction's running away from pain. Eating potato chips is running away from pain of being raped or abused or whatever. Running away, running away. And we got to stop hiding and come back in and be real. And I think we live in a culture that is starting to embrace people being real, like you. Chuck Yates with his Shotgun Willie t-shirt. <laughs> the meditation guy being real. I used to work for AIM here in Houston. I used to have a, a fancy career, and I was miserable. It didn't work. And that's there's a lot of people who need help. There's a lot of people who need help, for sure. Yeah. Now the, and, and the other thing I will say because you know one of the messages I always push is find that person that you can go talk to and if you choose them 99.9% .9 of the time it's going to be great because you'll get it off your chest shame hates words the other thing I will say is when you're choosing that person there're no preconceived notions on who that person is i mean if you're ceo of the Houston Texans you don't have to go sit down with the ceo of the Dallas Cowboys you could go sit down with the janitor at one of the Texans because yep. people that have really high emotional IQs and will be empathetic and will listen and not judge come in all shape, color, sizes, yep. everything. Yep. And I, I personally surround myself with emotionally intelligent, spiritually skillful people that 
feed my soul and give me energy and love me and allow me to show them my dirty laundry. Because what's true is um, I'm broken and I'm not. I'm really smart and I'm really dumb. I'm really connected and I'm really disconnected, both. And it's hard to find people who, who can bear it, but we need to do it. And there's lots of ways to do it. Like the, we talked about this loosely in the oil field, a lot of those guys will feel the stigma of going to a therapist, right? And a lot of new research is saying maybe the best thing in therapy is not to give someone a DSM diagnosis. You know, my angle is to be, we all have What is DSM? The, the uh, diagnostic manual for okay. bipolar, borderline, okay. depression. Check these boxes, then you have gotcha. that. And like- Don't, don't I, tag them as something. Yeah, yeah. right. As, a, as an evolution, this is all evolving. Recovery should be evolving, right? There should be room for Gabor Mate in recovery. Um, and this evolution of labeling someone, I am an alcoholic. Whatever you put after I am is sacred. Maybe that's not a good idea. Now, for some people, they will say, if I didn't do that, I'd be dead. But some people, by doing that, it kills them because that's all they think they are. So there's an there's a, there's a evolution. It might be a coach. Um, it might like, I do like coaching and spiritual direction. I have a master in counseling, but I don't have a license. I have I never took my licensing exam. I, I have more wiggle room as a coach. I triage people. If you have a bunch of load of therapy, I'm not going to tackle it, but I know people to send you to, uh, and I can help you with other things. So I, I think, uh, coaching is just not for the rich. I think sometimes maybe people in the oil field might rather talk to me than someone who's going to put them in a diagnostic box. Now, some people need the diagnostic box and the medicine, and it works for them. But I've met tons of people who didn't like the therapists, and it didn't work for them. Just as there's tons of people that AA works for, I've met tons of people who are bored with it, and it hasn't worked for them. Can both be true? Uh, so uh, I think you know when, when, when you're ready to get some help, there's many ways to be helped. And, and I'll say this again as a statement, total Chuck axiom. So I'm making this up just based on, on my own kind of thoughts and journey and all that. I have always said, because people say, oh, I don't, I don't believe in, in counseling or I don't believe in therapy. I'm not going to go. I've always said, if you can go to your best friend, if you can go to your priest, if you can go to whoever and say all your deepest, darkest secrets, then yeah, I agree. You don't need therapy because I think 75 or 80% of it is literally just saying it out loud. And yeah. I think that's what the therapist does. They peel back the onion yeah. to make you say it out loud. But then there's clearly 20% of, okay, now that we've talked about it, let's, yeah. let's, let's do treatment and all. But I think it's much more just say it out loud to someone you, you, know, you trust yeah. and, and all. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. And also- you know, some of therapy is putting the fire out. I, I'm I'm better to work with you after the fire has been put out and and help you thrive. The most important thing is the relationship you have with the person. It's not the amount of knowledge they have. So sometimes if therapy doesn't work, you didn't jive personally with that person. Um, so the most important thing is to connect with someone. And if you're connected, you might be able to unload your secrets. Um, but the relationship is the most important thing, and it can also evolve, right? You may not need high-level uh, therapy, uh, you know, after 18 months with your therapist. They, they should probably let you go at some point. Hey, you're good, Chuck. And then you might work with me for thriving. You might work with me for meditation. You might be like, hey, guy, I'm going to get five or six of my friends together with you once a month, and we're going to have a really tight container where we can talk like you and I are talking and have a safe container for Chuck and his boys, right? That's one of the things I like to do too, create those containers. So if you're stuck, maybe it's time to look for something different. Yeah. You know, some people are not stuck in their addiction. They're good. So they don't, they don't need guy. But there's plenty of people who are stuck who are looking for something different. And it could be therapy. It could be trauma therapy. It could be the Mankind Project. It could be going for a walk, buying a mountain bike, reading the Bible, having someone teach you how to meditate. 
the the other thing I'll say that I'll get your your take on because it literally happened uh, it literally happened to me yesterday. Um, friend of mine joined me at church. Uh, we're walking out. I was like, "Hey, you and Patrick, go grab coffee." And my buddy's gone through some stuff. And uh, so anyway, they went and had coffee. And my buddy texted me, "Hey, man, the stranger effect is real." Yeah, you know, he goes, "I I don't know what it was. I just poured myself out to Patrick, and he was great and all that." I, I actually, you know, I like I, I truly believe you ought to figure out the person you trust and love to share your your dark secrets with. I also think it's very effective if you find a stranger. Now, there's they're yep. more likely the outcomes that somebody will be who the hell are you or whatever. But I think most people are generally good. Yeah, you know, I and agree. So, with you. Yeah. Well, and also think about it. You were a stranger to me. Yeah. And you told to me because of our mutual friend. Yeah. So um, I think. When you've done some work, you've done some work, you're a wounded healer and your level of being is transformed to a level that that person would listen to you. And you did what Stutz did. You gave him some direction, meet with Patrick. That's therapeutic. That might change that guy's life for the rest of his life. Just a simple nudge. Join me at church. Read this book. I can't tell you how many people... Ha, that have thanked me for the help that I've given them because they read this book. They do the breathing exercises when they're stressed out. They have a relationship with God. They found a partner who's spiritual. So we tend, we tend to, excuse me, we tend to uh, give our power away to Joel Olstein, for example, and other people, Patrick. Um, but really a good guide or mentor or helper is showing you, you. So unless you were not new and improved, your friend at church saw something in you that's actually in him. And what skillful people do like yourself and Patrick is, hey man, you can be happy and joyous and free like me. You're not seeing me, you're seeing you. And there's something in them that knows there's something there. And then you're attractive, you're not promoting it. You, they sense your level of being that you've done some work. This guy can help me. And it's, it's a spiritual nudge. It's, it's, and that only happens because you're wounded like them. And hey, if it can work for a wanker like me, it can work for, a, uh, if it works for you and I, it can w work on anybody. Let me help you. Let me throw out one more thing just because I, I think, I think you've done a really good job on it, but I want to beat the dead horse or, yep. you know, or uh, continue to nail away on it just for the audience. So demystifying therapy. Um, so, you know, I've had tons of therapy. I actually call it the last four years, three and a half years, hadn't been in therapy. Patrick has kind of functioned in that role. Um, and anyway, started dating this girl. We dated for six months. She broke up with me, um, said, hey, you're not engaged. I don't even think you like me. I can't really tell, mm -hmm. you know, made me go deal with all my bullshit. Um, I'm actually doing a, a three or four episode podcast series on this called Chuck Yates needs a wife. So it's going to be equal <laughs> parts serious me, what I went through thinking through, okay, since the divorce, I've never really dated anyone beyond four months. Why right. is that? Right. You know, uh, so I'm going to do serious stuff. And then there's going to be Saturday Night Live juvenile humor in it just because that's me. Right. Yeah, right. Good. So it's going to be this weird mix of, of stuff. But anyway, uh, so we wound up getting back together and, and you know, she calls me her little 180. She's like, I don't even recognize you. And I'm like, well, I went and dealt with my bullshit, figured yeah. this out. And so we're doing great. Knock on wood. Uh, but what was interesting about that is as part of that. I was like, okay, I got some issues. And if I screw this up, it's going to be because of the baggage I bring mm -hmm. in. So I get a therapist and literally I've met with this therapist twice. The first meeting, you know, your, your standard hour, right? I kind of walk through everything and the therapist really didn't say much, you know, he's asking some questions all along the way, but I, I laid out in more detail what I just told you. And I just said, look, you know, I've got so much in the way of trust issue baggage that that's what I want to work on so that, um, you know, I don't screw this thing up. And what was amazing is the therapist literally in the last two minutes said, you know how we're going to do this? I go, what's that? And she goes, she goes, we're just going to assume you're going to get betrayed. Let's just assume it. It's going to happen. Let's make it not suck like the last time. 
What do we need to do there? And it just literally changed my whole thinking. I was sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm going to get betrayed again. And right. all of this, all that conjures up and all to, oh, it's going to happen. How do we right. not make it suck? Well, we got through it last time by God working on Chuck, all yep. that. And I mean, I almost feel like a million bucks since then. Yep. And, and, and I just say that to the audience because, you know, people have this big, huge negative uh, connotation about therapy and all it is. And the lady just literally said, Hey, let's, let's look at it a different way. Yeah. And, and I, I think it, cha- I think it changed my outlook. I've yep. felt so much better the last two and a half, three weeks. Well, I think she's very skillful. Um, you know, there's going to be people who like Chuck Yates and who don't, there's going to be people who think you're brilliant people who think you're an idiot. Same with me. Um, I think you have to be discerning when you do therapy and, and interview people. Um, I think, You've done a lot of work up until that point, which get you some super extra traction. And it's a it's an attitude of of um, and an attitude of patience and curiosity that like I'm going to keep on going because there's plenty of Chuck Yates who still think everything's OK because I got a big house. I got some money. It's all good. There's nothing wrong with me. The humility to know there's something wrong and ask for help and continue, because here's the other thing that I've noticed. And this is the cautionary tale for you. Happens with alcoholic and drug addict people all the time. They start to get feeling feeling good, feel like a million bucks. So I don't need to. I don't need my medicine anymore. I don't need to go to therapy. I don't need to talk to that wanker guy. That church has got kind of stale. I don't need to go into any AA meetings. I got a new girlfriend and a new job. Everything's cool. And kaboom, and the gremlins can come in. So I think your vigilance is good. That it's a lifetime, a lifetime commitment. There's some trial and error. Just to have, uh, you know, just like you have to advocate when you're in hospital to get the care you need. You have to advocate with therapy. So the what, the way I have phrased that is is because some people look at therapy as triage. You know, oh, I'm doing poorly. I need to go to therapy. I actually say, yeah, you need triage. That's not going to do much. Actually, when you're in a good place that's when you have a lot of therapy because then you can really develop healthy skills yep. and tools. And So for you, one of the answers probably would be when things are all hunky-dory with your girlfriend to go to couples therapy yeah. rather than wait till she throws a coffee mug at you. Yeah. Right? And that's also a cool thing to do. I know people who do that. But the the underlying... You know, it's interesting. We don't have... We, don't have, we haven't started couples therapy, but we actually have... It's probably about eight pages long uh, about something we call the check-in. And it's all these rules of engagement. And it's, you know, it's things like you need to be curious. You need to say how something makes you feel, not you drink too much. You yep. need to say, hey, I feel like this when you're drinking, you know, or whatever. And we try to, we, we've laid out these rules to try to make it constructive. Nothing has to get resolved at right. a check-in, but right. it has to be heard, yep. you know, uh, facts or feelings are facts, you know, and stuff like and that. And think about that. You've learned that. Yeah. And, and we do, and we're doing it while we're healthy. We did it last night. And you could help dinner. You could help other people like that. Like if we were in a process group with some of your friends, that's money right there. Well, you, you don't have a PhD, you know, LPC. That doesn't mean that you don't know anything. You know a lot. I know a lot. So the thing, the most important thing is, especially in a relationship, is that you're both doing your work. So like if I was your girlfriend, knowing what I know about you now, and I was- Well, you've been winking at me the whole well, show, yeah, nudge, but nudge, okay. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You don't see what's going on under the table either. But, uh, oh wait, I got flustered there. Anyway, uh, she would probably applaud your level of self-care. And that might actually motivate her to take care of herself. So think about it. If you applauded her level of self-care and be like, wow, she's taking good care of herself. She doesn't, you do. You're probably going to be okay. Uh, one of the problems with addiction is we treat the addict, but it's a family issue. So sometimes you're the problem, Chuck, because you drink. I'm good. That's what a lot of codependence is. You're the problem. And you focus on the identified patient who's clearly a problem because he drinks too much. But like that also prevents me from looking at my own stuff. So it takes a lot of courage to look at your own stuff and take care of yourself. And the only reason I'm useful to Chuck or Doug or whoever is from the work I've done with myself and continue to do. And I'm always curious and exploring, growing. 
all the therapy and stuff you've done beforehand made this skillful lady have traction. It wasn't failure. It, it, it all adds up to something going, boom, that was an epiphany for me. And continue. Continue reading, continue doing therapy, continue exploring, because we are messed up. We need a lot of work over a lot of time. It's just not, okay, I feel good now. It's, it's all good forever. You continue to take care of yourself at a high level. And that's the gift you give me, your own health, your own wellness, right? And now I'm going to listen to you because I have the same wounds. Guy, this has been great. How do, yeah, people, how do people reach you uh, if somebody wants to reach out? Um, I mean, I... I you got a website, uh, LinkedIn, it's actually, Twitter. It's any? actually under construction. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm saying they can... I, the best thing right now is just to text me. Okay. 512-378-3810. And um, maybe I can help you. Maybe I can help triage some things. Maybe I can give you a nudge. Um, and, uh, you know, if I can't, it'll be obvious. And I might say, Hey, go see this person, go see that person. Um, yeah, that'd be probably the best way to start. Say the number one more time. Five, Everybody grab your pen. <laughs> I get a lot of people. Well, 512-378-3810. Just text me. And, uh, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or, and Twitter or wherever. And I'll, yeah, I'm, ha yeah, I'm happy go to share. Through you would I'm probably happy be to, good. I'm happy to share. And I do executive coaching and, and things like that as well. Um, recovery coaching, uh, heavy dose of mindfulness. Um, and I can meet you where you are. So I can work with people who are, uh, fundamental Christian here and atheists here and, people who are curious about Buddhism, I have, a, I have an ability to meet you where you are and make suggestions that are sort of customized to you rather than me telling you what to do. Because uh, I did this, you should do that. Um, so I have some skill and some nuance there in terms of guiding and nudging, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. Cheers, Chuck. Cheers. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. This yeah. is great. To be continued, I hope. Absolutely. Standing invite to come back. Thank you. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you so much.